Welcome to Chapter 57 of the Kinsman Die Podcast, home of fantasy fiction based on Norse mythology that's written and read by me, Matt Bishop. In this podcast, I read my first novel, Kinsman Die, one chapter at a time. And with each episode, when it makes sense, I provide some commentary about the source materials I've referenced in the text. Friggin' Odin discovered that the heart of Baldur's mistletoe had been cut out and removed. When Baldur was born, Friggin' Odin had placed Baldur's spirit into that mistletoe by means of an ancient Jotun blood magic. They did this because the Norns had told Odin that Baldur would die. By placing Baldur's spirit in the mistletoe, they made him impervious to all harm. Odin's hypothesis is that Baldur is dying, having those dreams at night, because the mistletoe has been messed with. They don't know who did it or why, which is why Frigg and Odin rode down to visit Mimir, who is Odin's uncle. Mimir, it turns out, wasn't all there, not just because he's a head without a body, but because he was away in the spirit realm. Odin followed Mimir's trail into the spirit realm, where he found Mimir being held prisoner. Odin freed Mimir, but not without getting wounded himself. And while this was going on, Frigg was basically twiddling her thumbs and dreaming of the day she and Odin could leave Gladsheim behind and sail off into the sunset. And that is where we find her now. Chapter 57. Frigg. At a thud like a sack of barley hitting the ground, Frigg's gaze snapped down from the distant canopy of stars above Mimir's glade. Her husband lay on the ground. The whites of Mimir's eyes rolled away, replaced by his familiar, sharp, gray eyes. In a hoarse, urgent voice, Mimir said, Quick, help him! She pushed herself up and stumbled toward Odin. He lay on his side, water from Mimir's little waterfall splashing against him. Check his head, Mimir said. She grabbed Odin's shoulder and rolled him gently toward her. He flopped over limply. One side of his face was a bleeding ruin. She fought down the shock. He said it could be dangerous. But she hadn't expected this. He hadn't been so injured since... Well, since several nights ago when he'd fought the spirit from the well. Sword wound, Mimir said. Draugr's bone weapon. The thing was deadly. Odin was lucky. She grabbed Odin under the armpits and, grunting with the effort, dragged him out from under Mimir. She propped his head up on his discarded cloak. Frigg, cut some rags and bring them to me, Mimir said, quickly. Heart pounding from hauling Odin the short distance, she glanced back toward the bubbling pool even as she slipped her slender knife from its sheath. What could she do if that spirit rose now or sent the Draugr after her? She didn't even know if that was possible. And why had Odin fought Draugr? She cut off the sleeves of her dress, the wet fabric twisting and bunching under the knife. Good, come here, but get more cloth first, Mimir said. Then he opened wide to let water pool in his mouth. The bottom third of her dark red dress fell victim to her knife's bright, narrow blade. When she'd torn it free, she brought all the rags to Mimir. A smell like burning pine and stewing apples assaulted her nose, making her want to sneeze. Not sure what to do, she lifted her hands toward Mimir's wet, withered skin, which was entirely covered in fine runes of varying sizes. His thick gray hair was plastered against his skull. He looked right at her, winked, and then spat the water onto the proffered cloth. She recoiled, anger bubbling up. Even in a time like this, Mimir was disgusting. Oh, stop it. It's the fastest way to transfer some of the effects of the charms keeping me alive to the rag. Hold that cloth higher. Then his mouth snapped shut, and after a moment, he spat again. 
Rags drenched, she stepped back to Odin and began cleaning the gore from his face. He moaned quietly, his hands flexing and twitching each time she gently pressed around his cheek and eye, then moving up to wipe around the wound's raw edges. Gradually, she revealed his forehead's ruin. He'd been cut to the bone, and it looked like the skull itself was scored, maybe even broken. His skin was swollen and bruised, blood flowed freely. She packed the wet cloth against the wound and applied pressure. How bad is it? Mimir asked. Pretty bad. What happened? A draugr stabbed him in the face. She threw an angry glance at him. He blinked. Oh, he quirked his lips, which she realized was his version of shrugging. It was a trap, both for me and him. I suppose I was the bait. She wiped her red, wet hands on her dress, picked up her slender-bladed knife, and cut more cloth from the dress's shrinking hem. She sheathed her knife, undid her belt, and whipped it through the sheath's loops, then dropped both belt and blade to the ground. She gathered the fresh rags in her hands and stepped back to Mimir. More water. Moments later, she was back at Odin's side, removing the bloodied compresses and tossing them into the stream below Mimir. She set the new ones in place, snatched up her belt, and ran it around his head, cinching the compress against his wound. He moaned and flinched back as she did. Looking any better? Mimir asked. She laughed, short and sharp. Better? I suppose. The bleeding and swelling have slowed, but the bone feels broken. I need to get him to Balder. You're on your own there, Mimir said. Freak threw another angry glare at him. What? How am I supposed to help? Of course he couldn't and she couldn't move Odin alone. How did this even happen? You were both spirits. What happens to the spirit happens to the flesh, Mimir said, as if that explained everything. She sighed and rubbed her eyes, shifting so she sat cross-legged to ease the growing ache in her knees. He fought a draugr, like I said, and they were all wielding bone blades. When made right, those can cut spirit as easily as flesh. She opened her eyes and looked at Mimir. None of this makes any sense. Why were you captured? By whom? Where were you held? And why were Draugr there? I can't answer all of that for certain, he said, blinking to clear water from his eyes. But I know where I was. And where was that? Odin groaned and tried to sit up as he woke. She put a restraining hand on his shoulder. Lay still. Odin moved his head slightly and winced, lids drooping back down again. Help me lean against the root. He pressed his hands into the wet, flattened grasses around them. He pushed himself up, trying to hold his head steady and grimacing as he did, his face grayish-green. She frowned but helped him move backward. His face grew grayer with every heartbeat, even as the rags tied to his head reddened. She ran a hand tenderly across his dark hair. Once he was settled, she said, Let me change those rags out now. You're not looking well. I think that sword cracked your skull. He reached up to touch the rags round his head. These were soaked in the waters, she nodded. Apparently the healing charms I cut into Mimir's flesh can be transferred to others, at least somewhat. And they'd probably work better if you'd be still, she said. He gave a small shrug of assent and winced. So, Uncle, Angerboda's house? Why not wait a bit until some color comes back into your face? You look more like your uncle than you should, she said, pressing down gently on his shoulder. Mimir sighed. Angerboda's house. Frigg hugged her knees. Angerboda had been Loki's first wife. They'd had three children, all of whom had been banished from Gladsheim because of a doom foreseen by the Norns. After that exile, 
Angerboda had declared herself divorced from Loki and vanished deep into the Ironwood. After a little while, perhaps ten years, she died. It was one of those topics that was never mentioned. So you were trapped in Angerboda's house? Odin had slipped back into unconsciousness. His color had improved to a yellowish gray, and his lips were a bloodless line. Perhaps you should just try to fetch Sleipnir now. It's a good thing they'd brought the big mare rather than simply flown down here as they often did. Indeed, it was a clever trap. First for me, and then for him, Mimir said. She looked up at Mimir. Set by whom? Was it that thing that attacked Odin before? I don't know what you're referring to. The Draugr attacked right after he found me. What attacked Odin? She nodded and laid a hand on Odin's cheek. Before Ithaval, several nights ago, he rode down alone to speak first with the Norns. And wasted his time, right? She nodded again. He said he stared down into Urther's well. Something came up. I saw it. And he said, Odin, I mean, said that it had lured him, his spirit, down into the well. But Odin resisted and turned back. That's when whatever is below us attacked him, nearly killed him. Mimir pursed his lips. Aha, that's interesting. There is a dark place underneath us into which Yggdrasil extends her roots. Or maybe it exists because of Yggdrasil's roots. Either way, it's there. And it's not a place I go. Not anymore. But something does live down there? She hugged herself and glanced back over one shoulder at the bubbling pool as if the very thing they were talking about would choose right then to appear. Yes, I don't know what it is, but I've seen its effect on Yggdrasil. Rotten decay has spread throughout her trunk and branches. Maybe it's that thing below, or maybe it's something else. I can't say for certain, because, like my nephew, who is apparently smarter than he looks, I've always fled when I sensed it stalking me. So is this thing below the one threatening Baldur? The Norns told us once, told Odin. I know what they told him. I believe the gift you and Odin gave to Baldur at his birth prevented the death they foresaw. It's also probably caused Hodor's blinding, but... His words hit her like Thor's hammer. She and Odin had caused Hodor's blinding? Stop, Mimir, what do you mean? He flashed a quick grin. Baldur should have died when that snow bear spat venom on him. It was a matron. It would have killed any one of us. Well, any one of you. But Baldur didn't die because we protected him. And where did that stream of venom go? Right into Hodor's face and burned his eyes from his head. Guilt leaped over the gunnels of her grief. She had done it. She had saved Baldur only to blind Hodor. You couldn't have known, Frigg, and it's just an idea that we can't prove. Maybe Hodor would have been blinded in some other way if it was his doom to be blinded. But never mind me, I shouldn't have said anything at all. Never mind? She stared down at her hands, stained with Odin's blood. No, she couldn't have known, unless she'd thought to ask what else would happen because of her choices. Unlike the Norns, she could only glimpse the future. If she could see more, though, maybe she could have. No, that wasn't true. She tried to change the dooms she'd foreseen, but those she'd sought to help had still died in the manner she'd foreseen. Unless it was her choices, her actions, that had set those dooms in motion. Could that be it? No, she said. I don't believe that. I won't believe it. What's that? Emir asked. You're saying that our choices don't matter. 
No, Frigg, Mimir said, a sad expression on his wet face. I'm saying that we might not have any choice at all. If that were true, then she wasn't responsible for Hoder's blinding. But then she also wasn't responsible for anything good she did, either. She couldn't believe that. She would not. Odin wouldn't, either. Nor did dwelling on any of it do any good. She had to focus on problems she might be able to fix, if that were possible. So, Mimir, tell me again how you got trapped in Angerboda's house. A light smile that stopped just short of mocking her graced his lips. She fought the urge to knock his head into the pool. Black worms erupted from the ground and attacked me. Simple to avoid, but they were the distraction. The real threat was a warped bit of root. The worms herded me, and before I realized what was happening, the roots peeled off the ground and ceiling and tangled around me. And you couldn't leave? No, the tree's roots were magic. They kept me from leaving, he said. And every night, the draugr emerged. The first few nights, they tried to kill me, but the worms kept them away. Then they stopped. I'm confused. The worms and the roots were the trap, or the draugr? I think the draugr were just there, maybe part of Angerboda's coven. The trap for me was certainly the worms and the roots. Regardless, I was held prisoner before a set of shelves that Angerboda or maybe one of her witches had cut into the wall. This was getting harder to follow by the moment. Shelves, Mimir? I don't see how... There were six recessed shelves, each with a different symbol carved in oak, he continued, ignoring her. The first was a wolf sitting upright. The second was a sleeping serpent coiled around itself. The third was a woman, judging by its shapeliness. That was obvious enough. So, carvings of Angerboda's three children? Yes, and believe me, I had plenty of time to inspect them, though I do wonder how long I was there. He rolled his eyes and under his breath said, Not that it matters, since this is the joy I return to. She held up a hand. So, you went looking for the origin of Baldur's dreams and ended up trapped inside Angerboda's house? Yes. I... I still don't understand. Angerboda had every reason to hate Odin. But Baldur? Baldur had still been in her belly when Angerboda's children had been exiled. If Angerboda were somehow involved or behind it all, and she was dead now, then that begged the question, what had she done? And what role, if any, had Loki played? He'd submitted to the exile of his children, but only after Odin had made sure that Loki had heard the prophecy from the Norns' lips. I don't yet either, but if you'd allow me to finish... Of course, uncle. My apologies. Thank you. Now, there were several other carvings, too. One was a cauldron. I'm guessing it was the roaring cauldron itself, since, well, I don't see why a regular pot would be included in a ritual, if that's what this was, except if one... Uncle? Mimir cleared his throat. Of course. On the top left shelf rested a finely woven net, the only one that wasn't a carving, and nets are usually one of Ron's symbols. The top right carving looked like a fang, I don't think it was a wolf fang, since Fenrir was already represented, nor was it her other son, Jorm, for the same reason. Well, probably. So the fang refers to something else, then, she asked. And is there a reason why you're telling me all this? Because I think it was a spell, focused by, empowered by, the symbols and what they represent, he said. 
Her stomach clenched. Was this, then, the origin of Baldur's dreams? Ungerboda was behind it all? She'd certainly hated Odin enough, but the timing was all wrong, and Baldur hadn't even been alive at the time. Not only was Ungerboda more than a hundred winters dead, but Baldur's mistletoe had also been recently cut. Was there any mistletoe in this shrine? Not that I saw, Mimir said. Why would you ask? Because the heart of Baldur's mistletoe had recently been cut out. Recently. We discovered it right before we rode down to see you. Odin said that was why Baldur was having those dreams. Mimir pursed his lips and closed his eyes. She averted her gaze from the livid red runes cut into his eyelids. No, I, I don't recall any mistletoe. It didn't look like anyone had even been in the longhouse, or that section of it, at least, for a very long time. You're sure you didn't see any? Yes, I agree with Odin. These episodes of Baldur's are likely a result of his mistletoe being cut, and I wish I'd thought of that sooner. Would have saved me all this trouble. Whoever did it physically removed a large portion of his spirit. That he's still alive suggests they haven't destroyed it. She heard the unspoken yet in his tone. Then Mimir carried on as if he hadn't just contemplated the death of her son. No, I believe I was looking at an old spell. And at the center of the design where you put the spell's target was an arm ring of gold. It was dusty and begrimed, but I recognized it. I'm sure you will, too. One end had a pair of raven heads, and the other a pair of wolf heads. She glanced down at Odin's right wrist, even as her fingers traced the heavy coil of gold that looped around her own arm. Draupnir? Draupnir. Why would Angerboda use Draupnir to target the spell? All the Jarls wore a copy of Draupnir as both a mark of their loyalty to the Allfather and their status. Angerboda had worn one herself before she'd flung it at Odin. Wouldn't a charm with Draupnir as its focus target everyone wearing the ring? And what was the spell supposed to do? I don't know, and yes, Mimir said, in reverse order. The fang statue was in the spot where you'd place the spirit being entreated. The rest of the carvings were to ground the caster, to show their reason for making contact, so to speak, and provide additional power beyond whatever witch thread the witch used to create the spell in the first place. Figuring out what that fang symbolizes is the first step in puzzling out the spell's effect. And how are we supposed to do that? Odin spoke, his voice a startling, angry rasp. I'm going to drag Angerboda's spirit out of the gap and ask her. Frigg tightened her belt around the freshly wetted rags and brushed her hand across her husband's cheek. Then she leaned in, kissed him. I'll go get Sleipnir now. How's it look? he asked, his voice tight with restrained anger. It's no wonder he was angry. If Angerboda were involved somehow in all of this, what did that say about Loki? It had certainly looked as if he'd put his past behind him by marrying Sigyn and having children with her but Loki was as inscrutable as her husband. Better, but I think these waters have done about all they can, she said. She waggled her fingers, miming what he did while singing one of his charms. Couldn't you just... Heal myself? He shook his head and tapped his satchel. 
I could, but I used the last of my power on Boulder this morning. You don't carry extra spindles? I do, but I use them all, first getting to Vidar and saving him, then saving Balder. He opened his eyes and grinned weakly. It's been a busy week. True enough, nor was she fooled by his grin. The wicked glimmer of anger was too visible in his eyes. He dug in his satchel, withdrew the shaper, and set it in her hands. I've called a slave near. She'll be right outside this glade. You'll be all right here while I do that? What could go wrong? He gestured at Mimir. Besides, I have my uncle to watch over me. She kissed him again, impatient to get moving now that he was awake. All right, just rest. I'll be back shortly. He smiled again and closed his eyes. Be sure to hold the shaper high when you bring Sleipnir through, and push hard against the root. The tree pushes back. Doesn't everything? Well, folks, that was chapter 57 of Kinsman Die. I hope you enjoyed it. Frigg tended to Odin's head wound, while Mimir expounded on some weird ritual that was conducted at Angerboda's house. Frigg wondered if the ritual had to do with Baldur's issue, but Mimir thinks the two things are unrelated. Frigg also thought that if Angerboder was involved, then maybe Loki was too. Odin woke up during this exchange and said that he would find out by raising Angerboda from the dead. Frigg then left to bring Sleipnir so that she could get Odin back up to Gladsheim where Baldur could tend to Odin's wounds. Next week, we're back with Odin. Until then, if you have the time and inclination, please rate or review the podcast. It helps boost the show's visibility, as does sharing it. As always, I'm going to read from both the Bellows and Larrington translations of the Havamal, the sayings of the High One, Odin himself. Bellows, verse 57. A brand from a brand is kindled and burned, and fire from fire begotten. And man by his speech is known to men, and the stupid by their stillness. Note that a brand is an old-timey word for a torch, the kind that burns, not a flashlight, like those wacky British people say. Larrington, verse 57. One brand takes fire from another until it is consumed, a flames kindled by flame. One man becomes clever by talking with another, but foolish through being reserved. Thanks for listening.